The state of Nevada in the United States is perhaps best known for its history of gold mining, the Mojave Desert, and of course, as the entertainment capital of the nation. It is the home to Las Vegas, after all. But despite its great history and cultural significance, it's not all glitz and glamour. Nevada is also home to some of the strangest cases in the United States. In today's episode, we'll be taking a look at just three mysterious cases from Nevada. Carla Rodriguez. Carla Carolina Rodriguez was born on September 29th, 1992. Her parents were described by local news outlets as busy but loving, and they lived in a neighborhood in Las Vegas that was generally friendly, with Carla having several friends in the area nearby. On October 20th, 1999, seven-year-old Carla was walked partway to school by her mother, Elia, until they met with some of Carla's classmates. The pair parted ways then, with Carla's mother returning home so she could rest before she started work later that day. At three o'clock that afternoon, Carla's father returned home. He didn't see Carla, but her bike was there. Her older sister told him that, quote, she's around here somewhere. However, Carla's father, Raman, couldn't stay as he had another meeting, and so he headed off again before returning once more at 5 p.m. Both Carla and her bike were no longer at home. Raman was not disturbed by this, as Carla had taken to cycling in the neighborhood on her own. So he took the family car to his wife's workplace, dropped it off, and took the public bus back home. At around 7 p.m., Carla was seen on her bike on the 800 block of Benita Avenue just two blocks from the family home. She apparently visited a neighbor's house, asking his son to come out to play, but the neighbor responded that it was late and it was getting dark, and told Carla she should go home. But Carla didn't leave right away, playing alone for 15 minutes outside the house before heading off. However, Carla never came home. Raman spoke to the neighbor at around 10 p.m., who relayed all the information to him. For some reason, he assumed that his daughter had gone to stay at a friend's house, and instead of looking for her, Raman decided to go home and go to bed. He apparently did not alert his wife to this information, as he didn't want to worry her. The next morning, Elia headed to Carla's school to find out if she was there. She wasn't, and she reportedly hadn't attended any of her classes the previous day. The principal alerted the police to the seven-year-old's sudden disappearance. Over the next several weeks, over 100 volunteers and police officers searched for the missing girl, but investigators found the situation to be grim. About 12 hours of Carla's day was unaccounted for, between when she was walking to school and when she went to the neighbor's home that evening. The fact that she wasn't reported missing right away also impeded the inquiry, as authorities had lost out on precious time. Carla's bike was located near the neighbor's house, where she was seen the night before, but there was no trace of the seven-year-old, despite the fact that searchers had meticulously combed the neighborhood and beyond. The local neighborhood was canvassed, leading to tips and leads, but none of them panned out. Over a two-month period, law enforcement interviewed dozens of people who may have had contact with or seen the little girl, and it was noted that no one, including the family, failed any polygraph tests. The day after Carla went missing, police brought in two bloodhounds who traced her scent to an apartment complex on the 1700 block of Santa Paula Drive, about half a mile away from the family home. However, 
no evidence linked to the seven-year-old's vanishing was ever recovered from the building. Little else is known about the actual investigation into the disappearance, although reportedly hundreds of leads were followed and ruled out. The Rodriguez family had DNA taken in case any remains were ever found that could possibly be Carla's. The detective in charge of the case in 2013, Dan Holly, who was a veteran on the police force, acknowledged that it was odd that Carla's parents went to bed without reporting her missing or even looking for her themselves. However, he did also state that this angle has been thoroughly explored. However, detectives more recently added that they were unsure if Elia ever walked her daughter to school at all that morning. It was also noted by several local papers that it appeared as if nobody consistently looked after Carla. Theories on what happened to her are few and far between. It's been speculated that she got trapped or lost somewhere, but without her bike, she couldn't have gotten far and thorough searches have been carried out in her neighborhood and beyond. For a while, during the initial investigation, it was suspected that the seven-year-old's disappearance was connected to the debts that her parents owed a former brother-in-law. A few months prior to Carla going missing, the unidentified in-law had shown up in Vegas to demand repayment. The family gave him $1,000, but he told them this was only interest and he wanted more. Police theorized that he captured Carla so he could extort money from her parents, but in recent years, this idea has been ruled out and the brother-in-law is no longer considered a suspect. Now, authorities believe that Carla's case is a non-family abduction. Retired Deputy Chief Al Salinas described Carla as a, quote, victim waiting to happen. Despite America's most wanted airing segments on the case, Carla's disappearance received very little media coverage, leading to a lack of leads for investigators to follow. The investigation is still active, however. An article from 2019 stated that there is forensic evidence to be tested, although it's unknown what this evidence is. In 2020, the case was submitted for genetic genealogy testing. Police aren't looking for a suspect, but for any trace of Carla, who would be 27 years old now, or any children she may have if she is or was still alive. In the two decades since her disappearance, Elia and Ramon Rodriguez have had another child, a son who is now in his teens. The couple have held on to Carla's belongings and clothing, and the family made an appeal to the public in October of last year. Carla's big sister, Rosie, who was 15 when she went missing, has publicly stated that the family believe Carla is still out there and they will continue to hope until they are proven otherwise. The FBI is offering a $5,000 reward for any information leading to Carla's whereabouts. Anyone with information on Carla's case can contact the Las Vegas FBI office at 702-385-1281 or the Metro Homicide Detectives at 702-828-3521. Sonny Liston. Born in rural Arkansas around 1930, Charles L. Sonny Liston was the 24th of an incredible 25 children. Since birth certificates were not legally required, it is unknown exactly what Sonny's birthday is. Although some have speculated that at the time of his death in 1970, he was closer to 50 years of age than 40. Sonny had a grim upbringing. 
He was beaten at home and struggled in school, illiterate even in his adult years. As a result, he turned to a life of crime early on and went on to begin a professional boxing career in 1953 after a brief two year stint in jail. It wasn't long, however, before the mob acclaimed Sonny as one of their own, managing every single one of his fights and controlling every cent he earned. For a time, Sonny worked for a mob boss as an enforcer. While in his early days as a professional boxer, he was managed by Frank Blinky Palamo, an associate of the infamous mafia hitman, Frankie Carbo. However, Sonny's professional career was remarkable. He became the world heavyweight champion after knocking out Floyd Patterson in 1962 and again in 1963. In the world of boxing, he was well known for his formidable punching power and his towering, intimidating appearance. Then, in 1964, Sonny lost his title to Muhammad Ali in two matches which were considered extremely controversial in the sporting world, as rumours swirled that the matches had been fixed. In the rematch, Sonny had gone down just 104 seconds into the fight, having been hit by a quote, phantom punch that very few people saw. Even Muhammad Ali was furious. The odd circumstances surrounding Sonny's defeat led even his own wife to believe that he'd purposefully thrown the match. On January 5th, 1971, Sonny's wife, Geraldine, came home from a two-week trip in which she had been visiting her mother for Christmas with her seven-year-old son. Upon entering the couple's residence in Paradise Palms, a mostly white, wealthy suburb in Las Vegas, Geraldine was hit by a nauseating smell, which emanated from the bedroom. There, on the bed, was the bloated body of her husband. There was a broken footbench on the floor. Geraldine first notified her lawyer, then her husband's doctor. She didn't notify police for two to three hours. When authorities were called, however, they quickly determined there was no foul play. At first, it was theorized that Sonny had fallen backwards while undressing, which led to the broken rail on the footbench, but they later decided that he had died from a heroin overdose. Investigating officer Sergeant Caputo was one of the first on the scene and found a quarter ounce of heroin in a balloon in the kitchen and half an ounce of marijuana in the pocket of Sonny's trousers. No needles were found nor any other kind of drug paraphernalia, however. Caputo said, quote, it was common knowledge that Sonny was a heroin addict. Except to those who knew him, it was not common knowledge at all. Friends and family testified that the former heavyweight champion was deathly afraid of needles, to the point that he cancelled a trip to Africa because he refused to get the vaccinations he needed to enter the country. Both his dentist and his wife backed up these claims, among others. The coroner who investigated the death noted that although morphine was found in his system, produced by the body's breakdown of heroin, there was not enough that it could be considered a lethal dose. While there was scar tissue at the bend of Sonny's elbow, one of his friends speculated that this could have been from a shot he was given while in hospital after a car accident, shortly before his death. Officially, Sonny's cause of death was listed as heart failure. He had been hospitalized in early December after suffering chest pains. There was no other bodily wounds or weapons located. His official date of death was December 30th, 1970. This was determined by the newspapers and milk bottles lying around the property. Sonny's boxing trainer, Johnny Toko, claimed that on January 1st, Geraldine phoned him because she hadn't heard from her husband in three days and was concerned. Toko allegedly told a friend that he went to the residence that day and found the door locked 
and Sonny's car in the driveway, so he phoned the police who came and broke down the door. The house did not have any foul smells yet, but Sonny's body was found in the bedroom with a needle sticking out of his arm. According to Toko, the police knew of the boxer's demise before Geraldine called them four days later, but they left his body there anyway. It has been speculated that Geraldine spent the time in between finding Sonny's body and calling the police, tidying up the crime scene by perhaps getting rid of any syringes. But if Sonny's drug habit was well known, as the police have made out, then why would she have to clear up anything? On the whole, Sonny did not have a great reputation either, so it seems unlikely that a death by overdose would have made anyone think any differently of him. Although the verdict has been given and makes sense to some, many still believe that Sonny's demise was not an accident, with many believing he suffered his fate at the hands of the mob. Sonny's publicist, a man named Harold Conrad, plus others who knew the boxer, stated that he had been deeply involved as a bill collector of a lone sharking ring in Las Vegas. It is speculated that Sonny tried to muscle in for a bigger slice of the pie and was murdered instead, being stuck with a lethal dose of heroin. Meanwhile, a professional gambler named Lem Banker insisted that Sonny had been killed by drug dealers who thought that he had ratted them out. The main fact which fuels the fire of speculation, however, is Sonny's mob ties. He was known to have had them since the beginning of his career. In fact, he was largely disliked as a sportsman by the general public because of his criminal past and continued links with organized crime. Some theorized that Sonny was supposed to throw the fight against Chuck Wepner, the inspiration behind the Rocky franchise, six months before his death. And when he didn't, he was taken out in retaliation. Others have wondered if he was due money for possibly throwing the Muhammad Ali fight, but that he was never paid, and so he threatened to go public with what he knew. And as a result, the mob made sure he met his end. It's been proposed that maybe Sonny was slain because he was simply no longer profitable. It was also rumored that he did not show enough respect to a certain mob boss and that he refused to do something they wanted. And as a result, his life was taken from him. A 2013 book by a man named Greg Swaim claimed that his late father, James John Warjak, the mob hitman with links to Frank Sinatra and Mickey Cohen, admitted to helping kill Sonny via an enforced heroin overdose. Even to this day, Sonny Liston's cause of death is still widely debated. Star Palumbo Star Michelle Palumbo was born on March 19, 1975, and her disappearance in the year 2000 is one of the strangest in Nevada's history. Shortly after 12am on April 26, 2000, Star was seen wandering around a restricted area of the Reno International Airport. She appeared to be disoriented and frightened. An airport officer shortly arrived on the scene and located her hiding behind a truck. When spoken to, Star told the officer that she was looking for her younger sister, who was running loose on the tarmac, despite the fact that the 25-year-old had no such sibling. Although the officer did not believe her and suspected that she was hallucinating, he didn't feel she was a danger to anyone or had harmful intentions, so when she asked for a ride, he obliged. Star was dropped off at the Reno Hilton Hotel and Casino at around 1.30 a.m. This is the last known sighting of Star. The following day, a car was found parked illegally at the airport, 
Upon running the plates, it was found that the car belonged to the same Star Palumbo who'd been caught in the restricted airport area the day before. The car was filled to the brim with belongings, suggesting that Star had been living in it for quite some time. Located inside were her mobile phone, handbag, $600 in cash, and most curiously, copies of three different emails she had sent to the White House. The emails indicated that she believed the US government was trying to kill her. Not only this, but the 25-year-old had two books on how to change one's identity. Also found inside the car was a drawing of a woman, bound and gagged, which investigators claim was her. However, there is no full image of the drawing online, and it is in black and white and has a cartoonish style, making many wonder how exactly authorities came to this conclusion. Star never returned to claim her car, and there was nothing inside to indicate where she was or what exactly had happened to her, although authorities found a phone book inside filled with the names of men and suspected that she'd become involved with sex work, a job that is, obviously, not without its dangers. Star's mother, Gail, described her daughter as happy, sociable, trusting, and dependable. She had a happy childhood and moved the year before from her hometown in Arizona to Reno, Nevada. For a time, Star was living with her grandmother, but at the time of her disappearance, she had moved out. Her grandmother reported her missing a week after the incident at the airport. According to Gail, Star had fallen in with a bad crowd and had become involved with the drug scene, methamphetamines in particular. She'd been working as a cashier at a pawn shop, but didn't make enough money to feed her drug habit. According to several articles, she was unemployed at the time she went missing. She also had several convictions in 1995 and 1998 for petty crimes. Although she lived far from home, Star called her mother every week. During their last call together on the 25th of April, Gail reported that her daughter sounded anxious and paranoid, claiming that her phone was tapped and that someone was listening in. She also expressed fears that she was being followed. Star mentioned that something was happening that made her afraid for her life, but she refused to elaborate any further. Perhaps most tragically is that, in that final call, Star mentioned that she wanted to come back to Arizona to get a fresh start and to turn her life around. After her grandmother reported her missing, the local police department launched a search for the 25-year-old, distributing her photo throughout Nevada, but their efforts proved fruitless. The only lead police received was when the owner of the Silver Dollar Casino in Elko, a woman named Linda Fields, came forward to say that she'd seen Star in December of 2000. Reportedly, Star looked afraid and was by herself. She told Linda that her name was Star and that she was either being chased or trying to escape her pimp. She appeared anxious and upset when she noticed a man looking through the bar window at her and she quickly left with another young woman. There are no other publicly known sightings of Star Palumbo. There were some unsubstantiated rumors that the 25-year-old had overdosed and that her body had been dumped in the desert, although their origin is unknown. Her friends, on the other hand, believe she was trying to change her identity to hide from the people to whom she owed drug money. It's unknown if any specific dealers have been questioned or are considered suspects. One newspaper reported that her friends and acquaintances often told different, conflicting stories, hindering the police investigation further. 
Sadly, the case of Star Palumbo remains unsolved and appears to have been largely forgotten about by the mainstream media, although the case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries in October of 2001. Authorities believe Star is either suffering an organic or drug-induced psychosis and is a woman who doesn't know where or who she is. The other possibility is that she's the victim of a serious crime and is either unable to contact her family or has tragically been killed. If Star is still alive today, she would be 45 years old. Anyone with any information on Star's case can contact the Reno PD at 775-334-2175. And there you have the facts. Three mysterious cases from Nevada. Please leave a comment down below with your own theories and speculations, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. If you're still hungry for true crime content, you can check out the Cold Case Detective podcast by following the link below. Thank you for watching. Stay alert, stay safe, and I'll see you next time.